Hello, friends of Soul Kitchen. Thank you for listening to my podcast. My name is Jasper Mutsaerts. I'm an entrepreneur, adventurer, coach, and wisdom seeker. With Soul Kitchen, I interview people that inspire me. From TED speakers to social entrepreneurs, from activists to artists, from dreamers to seekers, from business people to spiritual teachers. With Soul Kitchen, I empower people to live their quest. Each episode contains a recipe for life. What is your quest? So, hello, friends from Soul Kitchen. I'm happy uh, to see you again, or maybe not see you, but uh, speak with you. So today I'm talking to Nikki Trott, whom I met on LinkedIn, I think. And she is a Londoner living in Amsterdam, like myself. She also has been a former nomad. And she has a background in the fashion industry, but nowadays is an entrepreneur, a speaker, and a podcast host. So she's the founding partner of Barefoot Ventures and also the founder of the Conscious Accelerator and the podcast host of the Going um, Conscious podcast. And um, yeah, Nikki, how do you manage to do all these different things? (laughs) It's a good question. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, Well, I like to just split my time. And I think I've moved since becoming a mother um, almost two years ago. I moved into a new way of looking at my time. And I see it more like the number of hours that you put into something per week does not equal the amount of progress you'll make or the Mm -hmm. success you'll have. Of course, you have to be showing up dedicated, present, spending hours uh, on something, but I realized how much time I was spending sort of sitting at my laptop that probably wasn't productive or changing the results. Mm. So I try to split my time and my days in blocks. That's how I like to work. So I go deep in a project or a business that I'm doing. And at Conscious Accelerator, I'm consulting lots of different brands, startups up to big brands, but lots of startups and small companies that want to use business for good. So I'm always working on different companies. I'm used to, that's how I'm used to working. So then one of those companies I'm working on is also my other company, Barefoot Ventures, where we're building the regenerative investment platform. So yeah, it's about splitting time and chunks for me. And um, I don't have a child, but is it true that once you have a child, you become more productive or more selective with your time or how does your approach to time change? Yeah, I experienced that because you're just much more aware of the demands on your time. I used to be happy to sometimes let my work day slip into my supper time and it would be seven o'clock or eight o'clock or stop for a bit and go back. And when I became a mother, that wasn't possible anymore because I had a small being who needed my attention and I didn't want to split my attention. So yes, it just makes you much more aware of the hours you have in the day. You still want to achieve the same things and you make it happen. Mm, that sounds amazing. It sounds like it brings more balance in your life, even though it might also bring some, some other challenges. Um, I was possibly going to meet you at the medicine festival in uh, UK. But I was away for a while and I started to miss my my friends and family. So I decided not to go and celebrate my birthday in, in the Netherlands. But you went there and you also spoke. So, yeah, what can you tell a bit about Medicine Festival and what you've been speaking about? Yes. Okay. So I absolutely love Medicine Festival. Just to give you a background. I've been to many 
different festivals in my time um, from Glastonbury and Secret Garden Party in the UK, these kind of classic festivals to lots of techno festivals when I lived in Berlin and I went to Garbage Festival every year, if people know of that one. And I've, I just, I love music and dance. And, but as I've been on my journey and stopped alcohol, I found more and more that I didn't want to be in an environment where people were consuming a lot of alcohol and other things that I also don't consume. And it, it felt like a way of trying to escape yourself. And I wanted to continue my journey into myself. And that's what Medicine Festival allows. It's alcohol-free um, and it's a conscious festival. And there are so many different beautiful experiences you can have there from the Healing Village, which my dear friends Carmela and Annabelle from Mama Wellbeing run, and the, all these different tents. And you can go, I had a conscious couples um, kind of session with my partner in, in one tent. You can have a massage or a tarot reading or anything you can think of is there. New things to discover. And then all vegan, or maybe there's some vegetarian, but mostly vegan food. Um, and then there's ecstatic dance. So there's still great music, but it's positive music, lots of li other live music, workshops, in incredible nature. And it's just such a special place, really open-minded people and really family-friendly. Although the majority of people there don't necessarily go with kids or definitely don't go with kids. There are still lots, lots of kids around. And being there with our almost two-year-old, it was her second medicine, actually. She was also there at nine months. And both of them she loved, but this one even more. She was able to really engage and just roll down the hills with other kids and um, got kissed on the feet by a lovely boy. <laughs> you know, it just, it was, it was really, really magical to be somewhere where people are really open and not not going away from themselves and on the medicine emails and, and website that they, they they send out they say please don't bring any alcohol because it brings down the vibe and we don't want that low frequency at this festival and I don't know if I even fully understand that even as somebody who's drunk alcohol for years and now completely abstained for years I still I don't know if I fully understand that but you feel it you feel it it's different it's it's amazing. And I spoke on how finance can be a tool for regenerating the earth and creating regenerative ecosystems. Um, that's what I was asked to speak on. I was asked to speak about regenerative finance. Um, and I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to speak about finance at this festival, which is so conscious, especially when my background and my my core my my bread and butter, if you like, is bread and vegan butter is um, is business and brand. I've only been involved in finance for a year, which we might get onto. But it was really interesting. I I made it very interactive and open, and it was really interesting to hear from people. There are so many perspectives around money and finance that we have, and I think I've seen so many times when people want to use business for good or do conscious work, they often say, you know. I don't need the money. Let, let's leave the money for the people who only care about money. I just want to do good in the world. Mm. And I think often I see people choosing to make less money and not realizing it and tripping themselves up around money. And I want to see money going to all the people who want to use business for good and do good in the world. If, imagine if all of the money just starts flowing to them instead yeah. of the people who, who might have some more negative intentions. How different would our world be? So that's kind of my vision for how finance can shift. That's a, a brilliant vision. And how did you move from um, fashion into, let's say, conscious entrepreneurship into finance? I mean, yeah. I'm, 
<laughs> I know you're not only doing finance, but how did you include that in your activities? Yeah, I know it's quite it's quite a journey. Well, um, so in fashion, I was consulting lots of the world's biggest brands like Dior and Mulberry and Calvin Klein and H and M and Mercedes Benz and Mac Cosmetics and working. Honestly, I thought I'd achieved my dream because I was working with the the world's best brands and uh, my company was thriving. First, I was working in agencies as a director and then moved to my own. But then I was on my own spiritual journey. I'd become fully vegan. I'd started reading Eckhart Tolle. The Power of Now was kind of my first step into really connecting with my own spirituality. And I'd started meditating. And I just realized that the things I was helping to be sold in the world were really disconnected from my personal values. The, the final straw was when I was flown from Berlin to New York to run a digital marketing workshop for a luxury skincare brand and they said they wanted to give me a facial beforehand so I could understand the product it was actually my first ever facial I'm very low maintenance I never got sucked into all this stuff in in the fashion world and, and this wonderful woman lovely woman in New York was giving me this facial and she was telling me this cream has uh, caviar in it and this is how it helps the skin and I said what there's, there's, there's fish eggs in the cream. She said, yes, that's that's one of the great benefits of it. And it was a pot that was more plastic than cream, a tiny bit of cream in the middle for a thousand US dollars. And I just thought, this is madness. I would never buy this. I wouldn't tell any of my friends to buy it. It's it's not vegan. It doesn't, it's just, no, what am I doing? Why am I using my my skills to sell this stuff? So that was the last moment where I realized I have to choose to walk away from this. Because for a while I've been thinking, oh, maybe different types of companies will just kind of come to me or maybe it will just shift. And I know that where I'd like it to go, but somehow not taking that full responsibility of saying, I've got a thriving company, I'm going to walk away. That's okay. And I remember at that point, my dad said, have you become a hippie? <laughs> and I said, I don't know, dad. I don't know what a hippie is anymore, maybe. Um, but it felt really, really scary to do that because I think I had absorbed what success was running your own company working with all these famous brands being flown here and there I didn't want to be flown around all the time anymore I mean I was going from Berlin to LA for 30 hours for a meeting with vans like it's just it it, it doesn't feel good it's definitely not um not glamorous you know and you know what kind of imprint this is having on on the planet and working with these different companies some of them really heart-led and I think that they can make lots of positive transformations to become really impactful conscious companies others it's just not not in their DNA um so I decided I would only work with companies that had a positive intention and that was about six years ago and it was really really scary to announce it on LinkedIn because my network was completely fashion people um but I knew that there was no other way. I did a transformation coaching training in this time and took six months out and did a Pilates teacher training. I mean, my center for coaching, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just a, you know, I just, I wanted to learn again and just do things that connected me back with my body and with the internal workings of humans, because that's always what interested me in business was not necessarily only the business itself, but also how it comes through from humans what drives us what we're capable of doing how we can create change so I'm taking a long time answering your question so I'm going to speed up with the story I ended up then launching the business um conscious accelerator 
And of course, finding that many people in my network were also thinking about the same thing. And still just last week, I, a new client who I'm working with now is someone from my fashion days who reached out and she's starting this amazing well-being uh, brand. It's, it's, I love it. And um, yeah, so this is still happening. Where I, of course, I'm not the only one making this shift. And so I've been serving brands who want to use business for good for about six years on their brand strategy and helping them to really create cultural relevance and profit with purpose. And then about a year ago, I was asked to work on Barefoot, which was a new regenerative impact investment company, and to help to create a brand from this very academic framework that had been set out which is really robust but not easy to communicate to anybody investors or or founders and so I worked together with Brendan Keon who's got his long uh, history in in the finance world who's completely heart driven and we worked so well together that he eventually invited me to to found the company with him as as a partner so I've been doing that with him for a year so that's how I got into finance but really bringing my brand and business expertise into finance and into the companies that we serve. So have you, uh, thank you for sharing this. Have you noticed that the uh, companies that you want to serve that have the table that you mentioned uh, have challenges with fundraising, with finance? Is that also part of the reason why you're so passionate about them? Sometimes, yes. Um, I also work with a lot of female founders and they, of course, struggle more with, with fundraising, as we know. Climate tech, there's been a bubble around that with fundraising. So I, I work with a fair amount of climate tech companies and they have been more okay with fundraising. It's also a funny time right now, but I've been helping entrepreneurs with fundraising for a long time and helping them to hone their strategy and their pitch decks. But that's often more early stage or VC funding. But what we're doing at Barefoot Ventures is not that at all. We're doing private equity, which is mid-market. So companies that have more like they've already got um, 50 million or, or 200 million in in, um, in revenue and then we're helping them to scale or, or change to become regenerative and to go through transformation. So at the smaller end, it's more companies that are already really pur- purpose driven, but they want to scale. And at the larger end, they might be existing companies, maybe family run companies that have been built over a long time and they want to transition to be more regenerative for the earth. Makes sense. And how did you come up with the name Barefoot Ventures? Brendan had it already, and I thought it was perfect because it was it's all about leaving a light footprint. We love to go barefoot walking in nature and taking meetings that way, taking our shoes off and getting out in the woods by his house or by mine or wherever we are. Um, so it's really about leaving a lighter footprint and connecting back with the earth and connecting finance back with the earth in the way that it can mirror the natural ecosystems that can thrive and just serve the earth in a positive way if we allow it to, if we step out of the way. It reminds me uh, when I was uh, 23, I spent four months in India, in Delhi. I was doing an internship for ISEC. And then the director of the NGO I worked sent me to some other region of India. And there was a man and he had... Uh, organization called Nanga Pound Sachaga, and it means barefoot campaign. And he had been walking barefoot for, I think, 15 or 20 years. And I still don't know exactly what he was doing. I think he was mostly showing me to his friends that I think he liked the idea to, to be friends with a European person. I don't know, but it was a interesting man. So your your organization reminds me of that. <laughs> nice. It's interesting. And, and um, your clients, do they 
they they also like to do bare bare feet meetings. Like, is it something they they like, or is it out of their comfort zone? We've never done that, actually. Uh, we've never taken the companies you're investing in or the investors to a barefoot meeting, but we should. We okay. should. I think we should do like an annual kind of barefoot nature connection, something like that. It's yeah. a new idea, right? A new idea. So yeah. going back to the medicine. So you talked about the medicine festival and six years you made this transition. So when did uh, medicine itself enter your life? The festival? Uh, more, for instance, plant medicine or something like that? Plant medicine. Um, okay, so, well, I I'm, I grew up in London. I partied so much and I just somehow never took drugs. I don't know how, but I, I was always surrounded by it and never felt it was for me. There were a few different reasons and things, but, yeah, somehow then when that was what I did, I just carried on because that was what I did, you know, Um, and it felt good. Uh, So I never took drugs. And then when I was 29, I was a director at a fashion entertainment marketing agency across London, LA, and New York, and living with a lovely boyfriend in a great apartment in a converted church in London. And my life was kind of like, perfect except definitely felt wrong (laughs) so I knew that that I could just carry on living this nice life or I could change everything and really find so much more potential that I knew I had waiting to get out and I knew that I had to go on an adventure um so I heard about the Saturn return later did you hear about the Saturn return I have not no because I don't know much about astrology but I'll do my best it's when you turn about about around your 29th birthday, all of the planets return to the position they were in when you were born and it creates a new birth. And so many people who I've met now, they tell me about this time in their life where they quit their job, broke up with their partner, went and I said, were you 29? They go, yeah, I was. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. When I met my partner, um, he he also told me the same. He said, yeah, when he was 29, he left politics, left his girlfriend, went on this big journey. Yeah. So I was 29. I decided to leave my boyfriend, leave London, my city, leave my job and, and really find something that I really cared about. I was just before I set up um, my my conscious consulting. And um, yeah, this was this was a, a big moment of change. And I decided to move to Berlin. I'd almost moved to New York, but then I realized Berlin was kind of the other direction. It would give me more space and an ability to really just find myself. It sounds very cliche. So I moved there where I had lots of friends and my best friend is from Berlin and um, was on a trip a couple of weeks after the move in Mexico. It was me and eight guys from Berlin and really good friends. And they were taking LSD. Mm-hmm. And I decided in just intuitively like, yeah, that's for me today, mm-hmm. uh, having never taken drugs. And I was still drinking alcohol at that point in the weekends. Um, yeah, so that was my, I know it's not a plant medicine, but it's a psychedelic. And that was my first experience. And it was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful day. And I then experienced a lot of LSD and magic mushroom experiences over the next couple of years um, in so many different from art galleries to nature, in the woods, uh, sometimes in clubs, just dancing. Um, And it really helped me to learn to fully surrender. I think that was a really important part of it, was just to surrendering to something greater than me that I can't control. 
Um, and it really helped me to be able to just connect with nature on a different level and understand how alive nature is and how part of it I am. Um, also breath work, discovering breath work was super powerful. I'd say the most profound experience I had was breath work rather than LSD or mushrooms. Apart from the time that I heard from my mom and my grandma, my conception of my child, which was mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, the other time I just saw that my grandmother was a tree and I'd spent her last week with her and that they'd called me and said, she'll live for 24 hours. Come. And I went and I saw her and my grandma was so strong. She was 97, a Holocaust survivor. There's no way that she was going to die in 24 hours. I mean, I looked at her for a second and I knew, and I sat with her for a week and then I said, okay, I need to, I need to return to life, my life now. I played doing music there with my sister every day, holding her hands. And we felt like we're meant to go. And it was really hard and weird to kind of say, okay, we're not meant to be here in the moment that you pass. And then in this breathwork session, my grandma said to me, I wouldn't have died in front of you. You had to leave for me to be in my own peace alone. And that that was just, wow, to hear that and see her as a tree um, that told me that. Yeah, it was really special. So I found breathwork really incredible as well and probably I would say the most incredible. And I once went to an ayahuasca ceremony and the medicine just did not affect me. So, yeah, everybody else had one cup, maybe two cups, and were out for eight hours. And I had about five or six cups and was just kind of dancing around to the beautiful music by the fire and just like, I might as well stop because it tastes so disgusting. <laughs> and, it's, it, yeah, it's not, not meant to give me something today. So maybe that would be different another time. But I found plant medicines for me were really important um, it's hard to separate. Well, what what would my spiritual journey have been like without them? I, I, I have no idea. Maybe the same. I would have mm-hmm. done more work, but maybe not. Maybe there would be some layers I would never have unlocked. But um, well, there's so many things to tell. But uh, I, I won't continue. But I, I basically I, now I have stopped consuming plant medicines because my spiritual channel has opened up to a level that it's clear to me that I'm not meant to put anything else in it um, at this time. And um, so you've experimented with a variety of things, and you also mentioned your capability to surrender has increased after taking LSD. So can you elaborate yeah. on that point? I think it's like when when you take a psychedelic substance, you if you try to control it, you might have a bad time. Um, my friends, not for, even from a spiritual perspective, but my friends who I was taking it with, they would say, surrender, 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 you know, and... Because if you don't, then you can get your mind in a twist. And that I, I think with these experiences, you will have the experience you're meant to have on that day. So you will, you will, if you just allow yourself to flow, then you'll be taken on the journey. It's so powerful that you can't control it. And if you try to, it, it, yeah, at best it's just not the point, and at worst you might have a bad, bad trip. So. I think it was just knowing, okay, let's see what this thing is going to bring today and let's go. That was, that's a very different mentality to anything that I had experienced before. And then you can take that into life because you've experienced it and take it into life. Exactly. Then you see, okay, the way that this flows is the way that life flows. It's the way that business flows. You also, in a way, have to surrender sometimes to the natural cycles of your business Mm -hmm. and not try to control everything 
which is, I think, an illusion, complete illusion and such a waste of energy. When you step back from that micromanaging of everything in life and allow yourself to have a vision, to have goals, to have a clear direction, but also to be in complete service and surrender to it. Mm. And you just don't waste all that energy trying to force something that won't happen. Mm. So if you take the surrender to your uh, weekly uh, life, um, so for instance, at some point in my life, I decided to create more open space in my agenda. So to have more uh, space for spontaneous things, but it's a balancing act. Cause if you do a project, you also have to plan certain things. So how do you balance between um, planning certain things with your clients and, and keeping uh, space for spontaneous uh, things? Normally I like to keep Friday afternoon is my spontaneous space. Mm-hmm. Um, after lunch, I try not to book meetings. Honestly, I fail often at that. They <laughs> um, only have one from two till three. Um, and then for me, it's really the evenings. So after my daughter's gone to sleep and then having a bit of time to, or my partner will put her to sleep and I can do something. So my spontaneous things, my spiritual experiments, all of those things happen in the evenings. Mm, I see. So it's, so you take certain time time off or you intend to do it and then you're spontaneous. For me, it's, I think it's similar. And also, um, um, I think 10 years ago, I, I had very little savings and I was running behind every invoice, but now I have some savings. It also makes it a bit easier to not say yes to everything. So I also try to really reflect, is this something I really want to do? Or can I also say yeah. no? Yeah. That, uh, that also helps me. That's something I'm really working on right now. I'd say that's my number one topic right now is getting no. better at saying no. Yeah, mm-hmm. getting better at really saying no to the project. And at the beginning of the year, I decided to listen to my body because I had an experience when I was pregnant where I, it was this really successful, visionary, ethical entrepreneur, and she asked me to involve in her business. I was flattered, and it was seemed so aligned and so perfect. And I was working for equity uh, only, and I decided to do it for, for one or two days in the week. I was earning money the rest of the time. It was fine. But always I, I had these feelings like I, I, I knew something was up with her. I knew she was kind of manipulative. I saw different things and my intuition was screaming, but I on paper thought that yeah, this is really good for me. Mm. And then of course, what happens? She doesn't, she doesn't sound through, I mean, she's part of this YPO, Young Presidents Organization, which I hadn't heard of before, but now quite a bunch of people I know are in it and it's for, um, people who've made a lot of money and yeah, it's kind of old world values, but also there's some really new world values people in there too. And it was all about that. And yeah, I just thought I could trust her because of that. And then, um, yeah, she didn't come through on the equity that she promised. Um, and that was just a great lesson. I knew that she was not trustworthy and genuine in my intuition and my body told me hundred percent, but my mind said, do this. And my, maybe my ego, you know, um, so that was a great lesson and that I was grateful for to say, 
I'm going to make all my business decisions this year with my body. And that was what I've done. And it's at the time felt like, am I crazy doing that? And now it's like, obviously, mm. obviously you should do that. So it's, yeah, it's been a good experiment. I know you like experiments. That's one of my experiences is what would happen if I just make every decision with my, how my body feels and been only only good decisions so far but I still struggle with knowing exactly what to say yes and no to sometimes it's uh interesting to say to make decisions with your body so I went to a retreat of ISTA the international school of temple arts um and they have one exercise where you need to um reflect on a decision in your life that is important to you and then you you decide with your head then with your heart and then with your intuition and then with your sexual center so they also make you aware that your sexual center uh, has a role, even in business decisions. And then you can yeah. see if it's fully aligned or if there's certain confusion, but you can see the difference. Um, and then after that, you can make an aligned decision. So sometimes when I'm uh, confused, I, I, I take a look at these uh, these centers. And um, yeah, what is a decision that is important to you right now in your life? Is it something you want to share? Um... Some of them are quite sensitive because we're we're negotiating term sheets at the moment with some startups and companies. But um, one of them would be how much time to put on writing my book. Ah. Um, this book has been coming through for years since I was first pregnant, three years then. And I've, I mean, I've not written for 12 months in a row or nine months in a row, and then, but, but it's been evolving just as it's meant to. And all about how to create business for good that's flourishing, but the personal internal transformations you have to make in order to get that. So linking personal transformations with business transformations. So I still think that we separate them completely. And you talk about, okay, the business needs to do more of this and the culture needs to change like this. But if the leaders responsible are not transforming themselves, how are they ever going to achieve that? And so that's the book but what came through recently was that it's really also meant to be about returning to sacredness and so my title was going conscious but I and that's also what my agent likes but now I'm trying to persuade her uh my title that I think it should be is sacred business mm -hmm. and about returning to the sacredness to realigning with the natural cycles and um, many other other topics around the, the kind of abundance of ecosystems or around collaboration that I think can be really useful. And when I've spoken to people about sacred business, that's when I get quite a different reaction. Before everyone said, wow, that's really interesting. But when I say sacred business, they say, I want to read it. Get it mm -hmm. to me. Get me that book. So um, that, that feels like that's the one that's meant to come through me. And I want to write a book just because I want to write a book. I want to write the book I'm meant to write that can help people whether that helps five people or five million people it's not so much the point um but I struggle with how to prioritize that in my week when it's not a direct commitment to a client who's paying me which is always going to come first um yeah I, I can understand that that's a relevant question and have you considered taking a, a full-time time out let's say one month two months to just do the book <laughs> that didn't cross my mind. No, <laughs> no. Right. At some point, I went to, good idea. <laughs> I went to a seminar at some point of someone, and he said it's better to do like this blocks so of full time focus. But yeah, 
never mind. So I'm curious your book. No, but I'm going to think about that now. Yeah, yeah. It's like if you take, let's say, a month off. I know you have a child, so I mean, you can't, let's say, disappear and and sit in a Japanese, I don't know, monk place, maybe. But it's yeah. My dad took. Um, my dad always worked as a doctor, and then at some point he wanted to write a book about healthy habits. Um, and he took six months off for the project to to focus on it to go to the library. So yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So is your book based on the people that you have interviewed uh, for your podcast? Some of them, yes. Mm. So I'm curious because you are a podcast host. Um, you're a little more experienced than me if we, let's say, measure it in number of episodes. Um, but if you look back at all those episodes, what are kind of some of the key themes that you've seen in your guests? Well, they've a lot of them have talked about taking a transformation and a moment sometimes that happened when they realized I can't live this life. It's not really mine. And I want to find my authentic purpose, my values, something that I can do that feels like I'm doing something meaningful with my life. And one of the most often used words is courage. Mm. And I found that interesting that people talk about how it took so much courage at that time to make that jump but when you look back it just seems obvious of course you had to do that and that's definitely what I experienced in my journey too like I described like how am I going to announce this to people they're going to think I've lost it I had something that was so good and successful and now what am I doing changing it up for something so unknown but then when you've ridden that wave I think it doesn't take long to realize there was absolutely no other way um and when I've heard stories of burnout on my podcast, from my lim- my experience, um, they all seem to be people who didn't take that courageous step quite in time to avoid mm-hmm. the burnout. <laughs> and I find that interesting. That it seems like the body just starts to scream louder and louder and louder if you don't. I see. So they took it uh, too late, and. Um... Why why did they need so much courage? Is that um, because it's financially challenging? Is it because they're afraid of people think about them? So what what is the courage needed for? I think both of those things. But honestly, I think in this society, most of it is about what people think, Mm. how you feel judged. And yeah, it's quite sad, really. But we do constrain ourselves with that so much. Yeah, it it is, it is true. And sometimes it's also challenging that maybe intuitively you feel you want to make a change, but you don't know exactly the the end goal or the direction. Yeah. Then you start to doubt, right? And people ask, "Hey, what are you going to do?" And then you don't know. Yes, and I think that's a really important one. I um, I do coaching and advisory for a select number of entrepreneurs, and this is a topic that comes up sometimes. And the way that I see it now, and also from all the interviews and my own experience, is you're never going to know where it's going. And that's totally fine. But if you know what you need to do next, then you need to do that. Mm. Like for me, when I stopped my fashion consulting, all I knew was I have to stop. And I feel a desire to train as a transformation coach, but I know I won't really become like a coach. Mm-hmm. That's what I knew. Yeah. So I just did that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a plan. But- and then I, then I realized, okay, maybe I want to coach business leaders and entrepreneurs and I realize no I don't really being a coach that doesn't feel that's not really me 
but I do enjoy coaching some. I was coaching some people and did enjoy that and thought, okay, I'll keep that going. Mm -hmm. But there's also, I miss doing all of this brand strategy and all the things that I know I'm really good at. And then, okay, well, why don't I just do them for these kinds of entrepreneurs who I'm coaching right now? Okay, that makes sense. And then Conscious Accelerator was born. So it's not like, oh, there's this new game plan. It was really step by step. I didn't really know what was coming next. And you, now I I know some things that are coming, like writing this book feels, uh, I feel like the universe keeps asking me to do it and I'm saying, okay. But I feel like that's going to take me to some kind of workshops or or things like that. But But still, I don't really know what comes after that. Mm. that's okay yeah so it's one one step at a time and then trusting that yeah it will be clear after right yeah so yeah and and we talked about surrender at the beginning and for me this has been such a big question in these recent years how do you balance surrender with having a vision and a plan yeah you know because i think it's important to have a vision for where you're going to manifest and to create something that you're moving towards and to look at what are the steps that i need to take and to kind of Sometimes give yourself a little pinch and say, okay, you need to really take the step then now and to do that. But at the same time, to be able to completely surrender to the flow of the universe, to the opportunities that come up that you didn't expect. And I think that's an art. I really think both are so important and probably surrender is more important. So did you read the, the surrender experiment? Of course. Actually, I listened to the audio book because Michael Singer, um, he narrates it himself. Mm -hmm. I like listening to books sometimes. I don't really listen to, I don't read memoirs but very often, not rarely, rarely, but to, to a book like that that's about his story um, narrated by him. Yeah, I enjoyed. But I love that book and I recommend it so often to people. I remember at the beginning thinking, okay, so now he's got this temple. I mean, that's pretty awesome, but it's not really where I see my life going necessarily. Although now, to be honest, more and more I kind of do maybe. But um yeah, you know, I don't necessarily see my life going in that direction. And then he, where he goes to with this like multi-million tech company and all this, is wow. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's incredible. What do you think of it? Uh, I really liked it. It also helps me uh, to, to give certain context to maybe actions that I'm taking. So when I left Amsterdam, I didn't know exactly where I was going to. But then when you read this book, it also gives certain words to maybe something that I was already choosing. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's how it helped me. Like what I mentioned when you interviewed me about uh, the purpose that I found in hindsight, it gave me certain peace of mind. The yeah. surrender experiment gives also a certain peace of mind. Yeah. And um, yeah, but, but when I start controlling like the future, I become more aware, and then I I, I go back to to, to surrendering. Um, yes, I, I really like that book and. Um, Another thing you mentioned is the Conscious Accelerator. So I've been part of the Impact Hub for eight years um, as a trainer coach. So it's more focused on, let's say, scaling up impact enterprises. But I'm curious, what angle uh, do you choose uh, with your accelerator? Is it scaling up businesses? Is it indeed the personal leadership? Is it a bit of both? Yeah, I know. I, I keep hearing about Impact Hub, and I should probably offer myself to do that as well because it keeps coming up in my face. Um, but... So at Conscious, Conscious Accelerator is the name of my company where I do brand strategy, marketing strategy, content strategy, and founder coaching and advisory um, and pitch guidance. And also I put my professional speaking through there as well. So for impact brands. 
I've had masterminds through there as well, like accelerator masterminds. At the moment, I don't have one live. Uh, I love doing them, but it's a lot to organize and it just depends on my flow at that time. I think mm. the next one I'll probably do after my book. Mm. Uh, yeah, yeah, so that'll be a little while. Yeah. You need to find people that are available at the at exact the same time, right? I know that these things take well, some organization. I one as well, so do different ways. Um, but just to make sure that I'm really dedicated to to the group. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I I see. And your transformational coaching. Uh, um, I've never had a, a coaching certificate, but sometimes I'm considering whether it will be something for me. But how did it support you or? What did you learn from it? So I enjoyed that it was at this time where I was making changes and I decided to walk away from my fashion consulting business um, without impact. And I also just really enjoy when you do a training program like that, you try everything out on each other. So it was really fun to do all these exercises on myself to get to have other people who are in training, practicing and and all of the realizations and things I had. It was like a hardcore kind of coaching experience for me to to be there and doing all these different things like well, one after the other looking at yourself and your life and your choices um so that I found just found that really useful but also I enjoyed having some tools and techniques there were certain just key techniques that really stuck with me others that I left behind that didn't really resonate as much and also just the ethics and understanding the difference between being a coach and being an advisor, being mm. a and I have all those roles. And I think it's really important to be clear on the difference and to also kind of explain to clients at, at each time, like this, okay, I, we're in a coaching session. Um, are you happy for me to switch into a mentorship role to to share something in this situation? And to just make sure that, that they're kind of aware of the differences and how differently that can impact them. Yeah. Mm. I think that makes a lot of sense that when you start advising that you kind of ask for their consent. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Well, and would you recommend uh, me to, to do such a, a thing? Anima Center for Coaching. I'd want to know more about how you're coaching, you know, like it, it's, it, it, it's a great baseline to have. Um, Yeah, it's it's a good baseline to have for sure. I'm glad that I I have it, but it didn't profoundly alter the work that I do. You know, mm. it just gave me some good foundation points, some understanding. Yeah, more around the ethics and certain guidelines, certain frameworks. Um, yeah. But it, it's definitely it, it's definitely very gen generic. Mm -hmm. so it could kind of be applied to any kind of coaching. Mm. The fact that you've done so much coaching, uh, maybe you'd want to do something more niche based mm -hmm. on your area of interest. Mm. I don't know if there is something like that. But on the other side, I really like that it's just generic. These are the generic foundations and pillars mm. of coaching, and then you take them into into your way so they're not really telling you what kind of coach you should be yeah and they're just giving you tools so i i i mean yeah oh i see i'll take a look uh at it but i'm um it's it's, it's not 100 percent yes as i can hear <laughs> no because i i couldn't say without experiencing your coaching you know 
No, I can I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. Well, one more thing I, I'm curious about. Um, we we both lost our mother. You, I think you lost your mother when you were 21, and then you also uh, recently became a mom. So how has it been for you to lose your mom and, and then later become a mom? And, and yeah, how has it been? I mean, that's such a huge question. <laughs> I could answer it in so many ways. Um, how has it been for me to lose my mom? So my mom's twin sister died when I was 12. And that felt like losing one of my mums. She didn't have children and she lived really close and was always around with us. Um, and then losing my mum when I was 21, then losing my oldest friend when I was 24. These three significant deaths together gave me a great education in death, actually. I think I... I was able to learn and grateful to be able to learn how death is part of life. And, you know, these people all died early, 46, 56, and 24, um, early, but they died at their time. And, and just you know, to, to, to learn to accept death as part of life was something I'm so grateful to have because it gave me an understanding that if you're scared of dying... I don't think you can fully live. And I think a lot of people, I would even guess most people walk around scared of dying. And this fear that might be just subconscious and not really thought about, but when it's there, I think it holds us back from the choices that we could make in, in this life. And so I'm very grateful for that, you know. Um, of course, it's heartbreaking to lose someone and to lose my mom, who I was so close with and had this incredible telepathic connection with. Was It was really, really, um, yeah, difficult. But at the same time, I knew that it was natural to lose your mom because my mom's mom mm-hmm. had lost both of her children and her husband. Mm. You know, I thought, I've lost my mom. She's lost both of her children and her husband. I mean, and she had me and my sister, grandchildren, and my dad, her father, uh, son-in-law. Um, and we were with her till till, the, till her death at 97 years old. But, um, yeah, so I think that also gave me some perspective. And the way she was so, I mean, she was so strong. Wow. And just seeing how accepting she could be of the situation. Um and how grateful she still was for so many things in life also gave me that ability to be grateful. But for the first 10 years, I would say after my mum died, I felt it was like saying goodbye that she was gone. Mm. And then after that, as I was on my spiritual path, it became actually coming back closer to her again, realizing that she's still very much a part of me. And in so many ways that are beyond my comprehension. And and I feel like now I don't have to be able to understand with my little human-sized brain to explain and, and fully understand and rationalize how my mother is now still a part of me. But I mean, there are you, you even, somebody told me, I believe this to be true, that when you are pregnant and, and you have a child, you actually swap some of your cells. So you always have some cells from that baby in you and the child will always have some cells in the mother. I mean, it's so beautiful. You're literally always carrying parts of each other. And there are so many other things. Um, you know, the fact that my daughter's egg was in me when I was in my mom's womb. You know, it's, I mean, 
beautiful, really, how connected mm-hmm. we were each other. And, and I, I know I share this with you, but when I um, had a beautiful mushroom ceremony with my partner in Mexico, I got a strong message from my mum and my grandma, who had both passed on, saying, you will be the channel for the next biological expression of us, and you're ready, and we're in you, and we're doing it with you. And the next day I fell pregnant unplanned, trying not to get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So then like a wow moment for me to say, okay, they're so part of me and our destiny is so interconnected. I don't need to try and explain this or rationalize this. It just is. And I'm just in awe of it, really. So it was also really a coming back kind of after 10 years of, in a way, like letting go of and then saying, actually, no, my mom's still really here. In, in um, yeah, it, it never fails to fascinate me all the different beliefs or ways that different shamans and people have perspectives on this kind of thing and, and the connection that we still have. But yeah, I, I, our society is clearly death phobic. And that was my biggest takeaway from all of this is we need to work on, on that big time. Mm. If you can't, uh, if you have fear of dying, you can't fully live. That's really what I came to believe in, and see. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, yeah, beautiful, beautiful saying. And and you said something like it took you ten years to say goodbye, or for ten years you were saying goodbye, or no? I, I just like for ten years I believed she was gone. Ah, and yeah. then I realized actually she's still here more than I know somehow. Ah, so you thought she was gone, but then you realize yeah, she's still around you. Yeah. yeah, and and now like my my mom and my grandma they loved gardening and were amazing at gardening. And now we moved into this house with a big garden, and I was doing some gardening. And I haven't lived in a house with a big garden really um, since childhood. And I was doing some gardening, and then I was like, "Mom, Granny, would you?" I can't remember what it was. Like, would you put this this kind of soil in this? Earth? And then I got an immediate answer. It's like it doesn't matter whether that was just my head or whether there was actually so, it doesn't. It, but just these these connections with them in things that I know they enjoyed sometimes just kind of, I feel them really close Mm -hmm. and I don't mind whether it's purely my imagination or not. It's not something I'm trying to imagine. I just feel it sometimes. I just go with it really lightly. And it's just, I carry them with me because they've been part of my life. They, you know, they created me. So whether they're there in a way that I think they are or not, it it doesn't really matter. You know, Mm -hmm. they're still there. That's uh, that's beautiful. And do you have some fear that you will also die when you're quite young for your child, or that's not a fear that you have? Um, I did have that for a while because my mom and her twin both died at 46 and 56. Um, yeah, I, I did have that feeling for mm-hmm. a while. But now I realize that it's a great part of my purpose is also bringing this incredible spirit being into this place. And that's another topic, by the way, because as a woman, I was like, no, my purpose is business related. I'm not my, I don't judge any other, but for me, it's not about being a mother. That's not my purpose. And it took me until very recently to realize, no, that's a huge part of my purpose. Mm. It doesn't affect my business purpose. Mm. Um, It's, it's, uh, they, they don't compete with each other. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so no, but no, I don't have that fear anymore because now I do truly trust that I, I will be here as long as I'm meant to be, mm. and I will, and I also trust that I will die. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so. There was yeah. accepting 
you you're kind of like also women in business on, on, a, on a mission with a purpose so it took some time to accept that the, that little human was also a very important part of your purpose yeah yeah well i thought it was like one or the other you know yeah, because yeah. The but then you you, you realize they're not competing yeah. yeah so how would you summarize your uh, your purpose i mean maybe you have multiple but how would you summarize it Oh, I haven't rewritten it for a while, but I would say to empower leaders to transform themselves and the world for greater good. So it's really that intertwining of people transforming themselves and transforming business and using business to make the big impact that they can so that they're fulfilled, so that the earth and people are thriving more. And I, I think that it's been way too long that we've separated the two and they have to come back together. Mm, wow. I'm very inspired by your uh, purpose and you're definitely a strong personality. Like the Impact Hub does something similar, but they do it with people from all around the world. And you do it as a as a one-man, uh, one-women show. That's quite uh, courageous. I mean, we used the word before. Um, did you get some of this strong, let's say, essence from your mom or where, where did it come from? Well, good question. I mean, yeah, definitely from my mom and my mom's mom. Um, they they were incredible, yeah. And just to balance such strength with such gentle kindness always amazed me, mm. both of them. So, yes, but also being a big sister, I think. I'm quite an archetypal big sister as well. Um, and who knows, maybe it's also astrology past lives <laughs> i mean all everything it's like personality tests but also the astrology uh past life week all of them point to the same so so multiple multiple ways to uh to explain it but um well thank you for yeah. all your no no go ahead no i was just gonna say it's interesting because people see me as a strong woman which i am but i'm i have a soft center and sometimes that's difficult for me because it, it gets overlooked. Like people think that I'm just so strong, which is true. But then, for example, with my, I'm a very, very loyal friend and people who are very close to me, I expect the same loyalty. And I can be, I could have my feelings hurt in a way that other friends could, but the people think I couldn't because ah, I'm, because I'm so strong. So it's not like more than other people, but it's not less than other people. But sometimes you feel maybe misunderstood because exactly, you yeah. just yeah. have the strong. And then it's quite difficult. So maybe you have to advertise your softness a bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to find <laughs> ways. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, in the Soul Kitchen, um, the concept that I kind of came up with is that people can find recipes for life. So I, I ask everyone to share their, their recipe for life with the listener. And that's also going to be my final question. What is my recipe for life? Really fall in love with yourself. I would say, yeah. I think that way too quickly we're looking all the ways we share ourselves and do other things for others, go out in the world, compare ourselves to other people, put things out there. And it, if you don't have that foundation, you're just going to keep tripping up whether it's internally or whether it's actually in how what you're doing is received. So that, I think that that's the most important thing because it has to just come down to you. 
And and now I, I sometimes see people saying, you know, oh, I wish I had a partner and my life is, can't, I can't really be happy with that partner or um, I'm not able to have children and so I can't live a full life or different things. And it, I really feel for people and I can't comment on that experience because that's not my experience. And I don't sound like insensitive, but I always look at these people and think you have so much, you know, you're so awesome. And, and it's okay to grieve the thing you want that you don't have or to, to live that fully, feel it, but then to let it go and, and, and go back into yourself and all that you can bring to yourself. I think we need to do that more in this world. That's yeah. beautiful. That's beautiful. So fall in love with yourself. Well, thank you for sharing all your wisdom and uh, for inviting me to your birthday. So I will see you on Sunday. Yeah, see you on Sunday. See Thanks you. for having me on your show. See you on Sunday. And um, if people want to get in touch uh, with you, what is the best way? My email is Nikki at NikkiTrot.com or you can go on ConsciousAccelerator.com or goingconscious.com and check out Going Conscious anywhere you listen to podcasts and look for the episode with Jasper. If you just search Going Conscious Jasper, you'll hear me interviewing him. <laughs> well, thank you and uh, see you soon. Thanks, Jasper. Bye.